Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Hi, Jonah. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast to talk about uh, drug-induced suicide. Um, so uh, your your fiancé and I guess very long-term acquaintance of 20 years shot himself in front of you last year and this was you know after i guess you the dust settled you put together that there was something about it that seemed drug related um and i'm really happy you reached out because these stories are happening all over the world and um they're frequently dismissed and missed and there's so much that people can learn from them and it brings so much closure to the people who have gone through similar things. So I just want to say thank you for being brave and wanting to speak up about something that is clearly going to be really difficult to talk about and very painful. And just, I just want you to say, want to say that I really appreciate it. Um, I think the best place to start really is, um, you know, maybe, maybe just, just tell us, tell us about, tell us about Martin, tell us about your fiance kind of, you know, did he have, did he have mental health, uh, mental health problems? What was his, what was his story with, with, with mental health struggles and such? He did not have this when I met him 20 years ago. He was actually my boss. Mm -hmm. We worked in an office together 40 to 50 hours a week together just by ourselves. And I never saw any manifestation of any type of mental illness at that time. We got very close. Um, there was a lot of chemistry there, but never acted on completely. We, he had five little children was married. I had four little children was married. Wow. And then we went our separate directions eventually. And years went by, hadn't heard from him. And one night he just looked me up on Facebook, private messenger and messaged me. And pretty quickly he told me he was not in a good place. And all I could think about was the brilliant, fun, smart man that I had known so many years earlier. And he told me that he was suffering from major depression. He was hitting alcohol very, very heavily um, to, in terrible condition. He broken his knee, so he was not able to work. He was flat for a few months, and that was very depressing to him. Uh, but I think what triggered the initial mental illness diagnosis was uh, his wife had cheated on him. And that was devastating to him. And then he was let go of a job from Morgan Stanley during an economic downturn. He's a stockbroker. And he used to be being the provider and providing good for his family and taking very good care of them. He could not do that. So he started working on the Las Vegas Strip. He started working in the hospitality industry, kind of higher end. Um, taking high net worth clients to and from strip clubs and things like this, made a lot of money doing that. Mm -hmm. But it's a very seedy, something he did not want to do. And he hated it. it worked, he worked graves, come home, 10 o'clock in the morning, drink a bottle of wine to go to sleep. And the depression just kind of amplified. His marriage continued to decline. There was some physical violence in that relationship. And, uh, by the time he reached out to me, he was in a very, very vulnerable situation. And when I went to see him a month later, I did not even recognize him. Wow. 
um, he so, looked. Something's come into mind. I mean, I know before I hit record, you mentioned, you know, you guys, you know, he, he died in Utah. And when you said five children, I mean, was he, was he LDS or, you know, no. did just, just had a lot of kids. No. Yeah. He just had a lot of kids. Okay. <laughs> he All didn't right, like yeah. go unprotected, he said. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but I had four and yeah. he hated living in Las Vegas and he yeah. had never moved away from his family ever. Mm-hmm. He'd never lived away from his beloved children. He has five, like I said. Mm-hmm. His sister's there. Everything he'd known his whole life was there in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. After about a month or so of us talking constantly, seeing each other once or twice, um, he was like, he called me and said, I want to move to you. I, I just, this is right. And it was the most touching. And so I, we, we both knew that right away. As soon as he messaged me initially, um, and when we were, were both you divorced your, by that point and oh yeah i was gonna say so so you were divorced and i guess okay um and i guess you both remembered how i guess how well you got along and how much chemistry right. you had 20 years ago yeah okay exactly and i just always enjoyed him i enjoyed his mind because mm-hmm. he was a brilliant man mm-hmm. brilliant and always overthinking and deep thinking which is good and bad sometimes it mm-hmm. probably added to the anxiety but he suffered from, he was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he'd been hospitalized a couple times. He threatened suicide numerous times. Apparently, this is what the family told me kind of a little bit when we were together. But after the fact, they really, you know, we took away his guns. And But he and I talked about this at length. And he said, I would never do it. He said, I'm too afraid. And I believe that I've never been around any type of mental illness. And so was completely unaware what to look for. You know, and one thing I want to ask you about is like oftentimes, you know, I see a lot, um, life hardship, relational problems, they, they make people very depressed and, and upset and anxious. And, you know, the, the complexity of the whole thing gets kind of collapsed into these labels, whether it's major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. I mean, when you would talk to Martin about what he had been through in those, you know, you know, 15 years since you guys had been, I don't know, talking or all of that time, what, what was going on in his life? Did you ever, did, were you able to talk with him about, you know, where was the depression and the anxiety coming from and in a way that more, and, and sometimes it comes out of the blue, but in other times, there's a lot of very clear things you can kind of point to, to to see why someone was so distressed. We talked about it a lot. And ironically, from the first moment he messaged me just about, he started telling me, um, which was, it was like we had never been apart. It was like just right back into the same friendship that we had before. And the relationship with his wife, he'd said many times, I should have divorced her 15 years ago. I didn't do it. Um, He struggled with some of his kids. Two of his children refused to speak with him at all, uh, culminating with his father's funeral in May of 2022 when those two children came to the funeral and were literally a foot away from him and wouldn't even give him eye contact. Another grandchild was born a month later, and he was forbidden to see the child, even photos of the picture. Uh, photos of the child and it just devastated him because he loves his children he feels like he spent his entire life working to give them everything and 
it just, it broke his heart. It broke his heart. Uh, then he had to provide for these kids and he did not like doing, he was a professional. He wanted to be in the investment business and he just could not get back in once, once uh, they let the group go. Mm -hmm. so. Was he ever struggling with drugs or alcohol or anything yes. like that? I think, I think Las Vegas and I think working mm -hmm. on the strip and I think about the temptations and, and, and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Yes. He had said, um, I'm going to just say it, alcoholic. Mm -hmm. uh, he said he didn't need it. He was a typical, I think, alcoholic doesn't denies that they have a problem. But mm -hmm. he would hide it, sneak it, you know, so his family wouldn't see it. But he also told me that when he'd get off work in the morning at five or six in the morning, he'd come home, he couldn't sleep. He would drink a bottle of wine at 10 in the morning to go to sleep. Yeah. I'll wake up four or five hours later, start the process again. And he progressed to harder and harder stuff. And I actually found alcohol bottles in the house. That was kind of a deal breaker in some ways for me is I didn't want the alcohol. I come from an alcoholic background with family and I just didn't want that. Mm -hmm. But he, he could never get fully away. He tried hard, hard, could not get away from it. Um, so what was the year and month that, that Martin actually moved to, 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 be, to be by you? Two years ago today. About okay. right now, actually. Okay. And, and what, what did you notice? Um, I guess when he, when he came up, it's what wonderful. was wonderful. It was yeah. wonderful because I, I flew down to Vegas and I stayed and he wouldn't see me, which is very odd. He said, I don't want you to see me this way. He was very concerned about that. And so I flew home and I, well, okay, I guess that's that. I guess I misread this. Mm -hmm. He immediately got back in touch with me and he apologized. He said, I'm stopping right now. He stopped every bit of alcohol completely went to the doctor, the psychiatrist the next day in Vegas, got on Vralar and Vibrant or however you pronounce that. He got on those two drugs immediately and just like a 180, just a switch. Then I flew back down. We went down. We stayed in the Trump Tower for a few days over the weekend and everything just changed. We were like a normal couple. And the day after I flew home, he called me and said, I want to. Keeping in mind there was no intimacy. Because of all the medication he was taking, that was just an impossibility. Didn't mm -hmm. matter to me. I saw the person for what he is and who he was. Didn't bother me. Um, so for the next about a month, um, he was up here like every week. And he decided he was going to move. And moved, uh, he was going to move October 1st, and he couldn't wait. He moved September 29th, and he arrived up here. And things were wonderfully happy. I didn't notice any issue at all until February, middle of February, we took a cruise. Mm -hmm. And we spent a lot of money on this cruise. It was a very high-end experience and of a lifetime. And starting from the first day, he was just pounding the alcohol after stopping, not doing it, but it's free. And we were in the Haven and it's all top shelf. And, you know, he just, you're on vacation for a week. And I probably overreacted to that. Mm -hmm. I didn't just go with the flow and because it worried me. I'm a serious minded person. Yeah. And I think, I guess you knew that he had struggled with alcohol before. And obviously you're going to be sensitive to that, that it's had so. such a negative effect on his life. I think, yeah. yeah so, I mean, makes sense. And he ruined that cruise. He spent the entire time drunk, gambling, winning four or $5,000 and going and dropping it, losing it all within an hour. 
Um, yeah. He became started the first time ever became physical with me. I mean, mm-hmm. not hitting, but just kind of pushing, shoving, getting kind of getting my face tight. Um, and I actually called security because I'd never been around this. I'd never seen this. I didn't middle of the ocean, you know, and they came to Martin and asked him how much he had to drink. And he denied, he said, oh, maybe a drink or two. And they really put the fear of God in him and told him, if you don't figure it out and straighten out, we're going to drop you off at the next port and you're going to be stuck. Hmm. And so the next morning we met with the head of security and on a ship, they are no, they're, they're no joking. They're serious. And yeah. they pulled his bar tab. Mm-hmm. And he had had like 11 Long Island teas just in a period of oh about three God. or four hours. Oh, my yeah. God. He had yeah. a very high tolerance for this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You'd never know he was drunk. He acted very, very fun- high functioning. Um, but it really put a taint on me, the cruise. And it, it was um, a total waste, in my opinion, even though I just wished for something better. It, it was hard. He just was not himself. I'm sure you wanted to have a like a really nice connection with him. But yeah. the alcoholism was you know, getting in the way of you guys being able to connect in, in the way I'm sure you would have liked to have on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, he, he had apologized. He asked me to marry him on the ship and I just could not do it. I, he, every night and I said, I just not in this situation. I think it's more merciful and gentle for me to not accept that because I wanted this relationship. We knew we were going to get married from early, very early. We mm-hmm. wanted it to be something special and not, on a ship where you're not really fully yourself. You sure. Know? Okay. So we came home from the cruise and a week later, I just packed a bag for him and I said, let's go. I didn't tell him where we were going. We drove about six, seven hours and went to uh, Moab, Utah for Arches National Park. Mm-hmm. We hiked Arches one day. We hiked Canyonlands and we had a wonderful time. Wonderful. Until the last day when he bought um, two bottles of uh, big bottles of whiskey. They drank both of them. And on the way home from that trip, he was just very verbally abusive. I never just irate and here this beautiful weekend we just had. Now mm-hmm. we're looking at, I had two experiences in a matter of two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things really settled down. I think he sobered up because the police, I called the police and they removed him and said, you need to go take a break. And, mm-hmm. I hated doing that. It broke my heart to do it. Uh, but then the months went by and he started a new, very good, very good job with Citibank. He um, just, just functioning really, really well. Uh, his children, the issues, some of his children were having money issues and they were asking him for money. And he was saying to me, he was like, I've given them so much over the years. Now we're getting older. It's time for just us. Mm-hmm. We need to focus, not give them money. And I still would send them money. And he did not like that. And that was my bad. But I just trying to keep everybody happy. You know, I just, but he ended up with skin cancer and it was basal cell carcinoma. So not the worst, but it was very large on his head. Okay. Uh, the, he had to have surgery. The incision was probably this big, huge hole in his head. And then he ended up with a staph infection after that. Oh, These are things that the normal person can water off a duck's back, but he put him into a tailspin. Combined with his father dying very suddenly, his children completely will not tolerate anything to even look at him. Um, he was, we were trying to move overseas. He just interviewed with one of the big wigs with Citibank about moving overseas. 
um, and we were trying for Ireland. So that was, of course, he was overthinking this and anticipating this. And um, so it just was kind of a, a perfect storm. And I didn't realize that THC, when taken, he wouldn't measure. He would just take the oil and just whatever he wanted to take. That that over a period of time will actually have the opposite effect of what it's intended for. Combine that with the clonopin. I was not able to get a. So he was uh, on clonopin at a certain point because I know you mentioned he was on Vralar and Vibrid. So I guess clonopin got eventually added. Clonopin was added three days before he died. He had not okay. been on clonopin for years. He mm-hmm. went and visited a local psychiatrist who he'd never seen before. I was with him. Uh, I just waited in the car, but I was there with him. He came out at 4.30 in the afternoon after a half an hour visit with two prescriptions, of which I didn't ask what they were. I didn't know. I didn't need to babysit him. He went and had those filled and started taking that at 7 p.m. on Friday, October 14th, 2022. Mm-hmm. And he started acting very odd, kind of crashing. Just I could tell that something was not right. So for the first time ever since I've been with him, I videoed him. He knew okay. I was videoing him. I wanted to show him what, when he came down off this, this is what happens when you take this. This is how you react. I took a lot of video okay. and just terrible things from abuse to me to him desperately asking me to marry him, apologizing, please help me. Um, he did that Saturday. He did that Sunday. And then Monday. Um, he woke up and I thought things were seemed to be better, but I didn't, I looked at his face. I did not even recognize him fully. What was it about he, it? That, that He looked gray. He looked gaunt. He couldn't sleep. He could not eat. He just all over the map. He texted me, even though we both worked from home in the same office, he was texting me just constant. Good things and then horrible things. And then I'm so sorry, please. I took the day off tomorrow to get married. We had an appointment already the next day to get our license. We'd already, we'd already made that arrangement. And I just did not feel at 4.03 p.m. He came in. He says, please, let's go and get married right now. 27 minutes till the court closes. And I just, because I love him so much, I was not going to do that with him in that condition. It was not fair. Looking back on it and what's happened since then, I wish that I had. Um, because his children, um, they need somebody to blame. They haven't gotten help. I have gotten wonderful counseling. I've been involved in some suicide, different suicide survivors groups and been very active in learning, but they have not, and they need somebody to blame. And it's me, but I was not to blame. I, the text that he was sending me. And I was sitting back to him as, I'm here for you. I felt with his anxiety. With why, my, would they wanna, why would they want to blame you? I, I guess what... what well, you what have, a, as I understand it, when suicide happens, and it's very common apparently for the family to blame the spouse, which I consider myself a spouse. We lived together. We had sure. all of our finances were together. We had loan together. We had, you know. Um, it just breaks my heart because they knew how kind I was to him and how good I was to them. And I thought that me staying there in the house with him that day when he was having this meltdown, that I was actually helping him by helping to ease his anxiety. 
Now, the other thing is, is that we'd called the psychiatrist's office. He had called them twice that day, and I also called them twice. Uh, we also called the suicide hotline twice, the national one. I also called the psychiatric hospital. Zero help whatsoever. Um, the, they told me, just call the police or get them to the emergency room. He was terrified of the police. He would not, did not want to go to jail. And he wasn't being a criminal. He was in a manic collapse. And I was afraid that the police came, he would do something that would get him killed. Um, okay. So it was just, it was, it was non-productive and non-help. The police, I think, need assistance with dealing with these type of situations. I do not think they're educated enough. Let me ask you this. Um, what was it, you, you know, it's clear from your description that, you know, you know, Martin, Martin was having, you know, he was having problems with his career, was having some problems with his children, you know, was having problems with alcohol and cannabis. You know, there were so many reasons why, I, so many reasons and so many things that people could latch onto and say those, those were the reasons he killed himself. What made it, like mm -hmm. to you, what did you notice that made you think it was a drug-induced suicide okay. from, from the clonopin rather than uh, related to those other factors? Um, because this little bottle right here. Okay. He lost this bottle of clonopin 48 hours after he was prescribed it. And he was desperate. He, he, he came in and said, I stole it. And I'm like, he's just not himself. That was not like him to do that. How long had I did he not been on it for? He'd been How on long? it for 48 hours. So he was on it for two days and then he lost it. Yeah. And he was already starting to lose it Saturday and into Sunday. Um, I did not find this bottle until a week after he passed. I found okay. it behind the pots and pans in a cabinet when I was moving things around. I tossed it in my backpack, not having a clue what it was. Took it home. That night, I Googled it. And of course, the first thing that comes up is a huge black box warning with all the side effects. He had every single side effect in that black box on steroids, exponentially increasing day to day. And okay. this is a week after he passed. Then I said, okay, well, how many was he given? He was given 30 pills on October 14th. By October 16th, 48 hours later, he had 18 pills left. The dosage wow. on this was a half a tablet. These are two milligram tablets, a half of a tablet once a day. He took 24 milligrams, 12 pills in 48 hours. Okay. It's shocking this did not kill him on its own, as I understand it. Um, and, and during this time, was he on other psychiatric medications or was he, he was coming given off the Remeron? He just okay. been given the Remeron too. So, yeah. So on Remeron and Clonopin. Was he still taking Vibrid and Vrela no. or had those been stopped? He didn't like those, those sexual side effects. He just, it was terrible for him. I mean, it just obvious for obvious reasons. And, and so he'd in, feel in good the, and go off and then. Yeah. yeah. And so in the month before he, before he died, was he on any psychiatric medication or was he just mm -mm. kind of. He was okay, so we, cannabis. Yeah, just and cannabis. Alcohol, and, and alcohol and okay. just trying okay. to deal with it. Okay, so so it sounds like frequent cannabis use, but no... Um, daily. Da daily and daily cannabis use. And real cannabis, not synthetic, right? No. Yeah, well, real. he wasn't smoking. He was taking the oils. He would buy the pills. Um, 
you know, 20 milligram pills, okay. um, you know, go to Vegas, go to Wendover, Nevada, bring mm-hmm. them in. And he and had then, a concealed carry. So mm-hmm. he was afraid to get a card because those two don't go together to get a cannabis card. And what was the drinking like in the month before he, before he passed? It was unlike what I'd seen before, except on the cruise. And that was, he was going to the store and he was buying vodka because of course that's mm-hmm. one that you can hide pretty well. And I went in to clean his bathroom and found all these empty bottles under there. And that's mm-hmm. a crushing, crushing thing to find. Wow. He even got to the point where he drank. Um, I have a cheesecake bakery and I uh, have some different liqueurs and things that I use in those cheesecakes. And he had gone even a drink and drunk a bottle of brandy, you know, a bottle of amaretto. I mean, these were, this was not things that you would normally go in yeah. and drink. So it seemed okay. So it sounds like he was already in, so he's in he's in a bad way with the daily cannabis use and the drinking, and the thinking is that, you know, he went to see the psychiatrist. Uh, he was given a prescription for clonopin and metazapine, and then it seems like things really changed after he started taking those medications. I think you started to tell me about it. Like he looked gray faced. The day, um, the, yeah. yeah, the night before, he did this. I went and had dinner with a friend. I just needed to get away because he was just being so insane. And so I went to have dinner with a friend and I mentioned what was happening in the house. And ironically or not, the husband has the exact same diagnosis and struggles with the exact same thing. Hmm. He was very open and shared with me the things that work and don't work, the things that had happened for him. I felt very positive like, okay, I can do this. I can, we can do this. So I went home, told Martin this. I've learned a lot tonight from this gentleman that shares the same thing. And I think we can address this. We, we just do this or this. And he was pretty drugged out because this stuff makes you you know sleepy. But he was very okay with that. He laid his head on my lap in the living room on the couch. And I stroked his head on Sunday night. So he fell asleep. And then at about 12.30, I said, let's come to bed. And he was so out of it. His breathing was shallow. And he came to bed. And for the first time since he'd been together, he didn't reach over and give me a kiss goodnight and tell me he loved me. He just crashed asleep. The next morning, I get up. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, we're over this. It's going to be good. But I think he'd taken so much medication by then, there was no... And so all day long, back and forth, back and forth. But what culminated this was at um, about 6.30, he came in and he he had narcissistic traits definitely when he would get in these manic states. He came in, he showed me an email he sent to my parents and he said to them, Jana has been talking about all of your millions of dollars that she's going to get when you die and We've never had a discussion in our life. I could care less. I do just fine by my, that was completely him nutty. And I said, that's it. You cannot do, you just cannot do this. Please get out. Just please, let me work. I just taken a promotion. I'm learning on the job and just get out. 
And so he left and I immediately got a message from him. Um, I got a message from him at 640. This was the message he sent me. Mm -hmm. With the words underneath it, I'll be better. Okay. Then he walked into the room with a gun and he says, you want this? And he cocked the trigger back. I noticed three feet from me and he shot and it was a misfire. The, the bullet popped out and with one fell swoop, he did it again and he dropped. And I'm in my mind. It's amazing in those split seconds that you can recall so much of what you were feeling. The first feeling I felt was just disbelief. Like this is a joke. There's no way, but I smelled the gun smoke. He did drop. I heard the sound of the gun. Um, at the same time, I felt relief because he was out of pain. These demons that haunted him. And I just tell you this, I would rather he be where he is and free from this pain than with me. Even though I would give anything to have a healthy Martin back with me. I see so many of your, um, your shows that are related to people that are withdrawing or have a dosage change, but I haven't really seen much on ones that when they start it, um, what happens to them so dramatically, so quickly. We had just taken a trip to Park City. We were looking to move to Ireland. I mean, it was, we had a beautiful, wonderful life, except for these four or five manic episodes that he displayed, which was kind of disconcerting, you know, well, but. Um, you know, and I guess it's, you know, when I'm hearing that story, it sounds like he's not in his right mind. He does something that's disinhibited and what really sounds like kind of embarrassing to reach out to your parents with this kind of strange story about them having millions, you know, understandably so you're saying. Hey, he told I people to I put a gun work. to his head. He, he wanted to see my bank information. I gave it all to him. Then an hour later, he'd say, where's the bank information? I didn't know you were adopted. Yeah, and so why my stepdad adopted? You know, just all this weird. And did this, all of that weird stuff happen after he was kind of on the clonopin? Yes. So this wasn't before, so. Never. And, and, and so this kind of makes sense then, I guess. Um, okay, so he's, it sounds like he's already, he's in a bad place with alcohol and cannabis. And then he, it's interesting they even wrote him a script because usually we don't mix psychiatric medications with people who are heavily using alcohol and drugs, but maybe he didn't tell maybe he didn't the tell. doctor. You probably didn't tell him. Okay. So he gets, he gets the medications and then, yeah, it sounds like he's just almost in a, like a delirium. You know, he's not he's, really. He's not recognizable, yeah. not rational. I mean, yeah. completely. I'm, and I'm so thankful, which sounds terrible. I'm so thankful that I have all that video. I'm so thankful that I have just miles and miles of texts showing this, that he was trying so hard to please help me. And then the next 10 minutes later, just back in that manic, he just was miserable with demons. And I don't know what exactly triggered at that time. I don't think. It took a lot to trigger at toward the end. He just seemed to be after the skin cancer, really after his daughter, his oldest daughter shunned him at the funeral. I think those two things just, I saw 
a kind of a chinking down of, of his mental state. Um, but I know the man that who he was when he was not on that. He would never, ever have done this to me, ever. And Sounds like so impulsive, right? It you was know? completely impulsive. And um, I went and met with the police detective for the first time about six weeks ago. I, I, could, I just couldn't do it, you know, up till recently. I went over to there and met with him, and he told me that he had, you know, of course, he'd reviewed. I gave him my phone freely. You know, I don't need an attorney here. You can see everything for yourself. And he said he was completely, completely catastrophically manic um, by viewing the videos. So I wanted a copy of the, of the pathology report, but in Utah, there's no law that allows me to mm -hmm. see that. You have to be direct family. And, um, you know, I feel bad for his children in particular and his sister because they didn't ever, we didn't really ever see them. And so they don't really know how good things were until that end last several weeks when he just, you know, went down and, you know, one of these things that, you know, what, what you're saying, what there's, the, there's a, there's a rare side effect with the benzodiazepines um, where they can have a paradoxical effect. And I wonder if this is what was happening with Martin, because, it, you know, if someone takes, you know, so many of those tablets, you'd expect them to be incredibly sedated, but it seems like that was not what was going on with Martin, that he was more agitated, very mm -hmm. depressed, kind of unpredictable which is so full of anxiety yeah. threatening to throw the cat out and just yeah. going to kill the whole my whole one of my horses and i'm just that's not him he loved that horse just completely no. off his rocker yeah and if i would have known what i know now since all, all i have done for the last year is learn research talk to people uh watch things that are you know important and, you know, informative. Maybe I could have stopped it. Maybe I couldn't have. I know we're not supposed to blame ourselves. I know that I was a good companion to him and I took very good care of him and I was patient and loving with him. And everything I did was always for his benefit. Everything. That's why I know he would never do this to me. What was going on that led him to go and see the psychiatrist that prescribed? Nobody would give him Xanax. Nobody would give him Xanax. Um, he tried our doctor, which is which he and I shared a doctor. And was he so, was he previous? Was he getting cut off Xanax and he was looking? Yeah, to get they didn't want to give it to him, and he said they just don't like to give it here in Utah. I'm like, okay, well then let's go to Clarkin. So he was forced. He tried multiple times, so he was forced basically to go to the psychiatrist. He'd been on Xanax wait, wait, wait. with me before, and I noticed no problem, nothing wrong. So he, so he had been on Xanax for a while, and then he got cut off. Yeah. yeah, because he lived here now. His daughter, when he moved from Vegas, his daughter would mail him his prescription because it was still active. When that prescription ran out, he went to the physician here, and they were not interested in doing that, even though they had his records. They saw the long history. So that's when he, and they did, well, how about Zoloft, you know, and, and, and this and that. And How long had he been off the Xanax for before he got the script for the Clonopin? Like how many months? Oh, probably, I want to say probably four. Four, okay. Probably a good and do you know four. how long he had been on the Xanax for? Years and years. 
Yeah. Cause that's like another aspect of it. You know, sometimes, you know, when you've been on Xanax or any other benzodiazepine for several years, you can have a really nasty withdrawal, especially if you get cut off cold turkey, which is what sounds like happened to him. And believe me, if you, I mean, people who aren't even alcoholics start to drink very, very heavily when they go into withdrawal from benzodiazepines. It can completely destabilize their moods. And so I, I, I mean, was that a turning point for you? I mean, does that yes, sit that, right? That, that is that, ab- absolutely. That is when I started noticing that, that kind of gradual switch from perfect man of my dreams who I adored to he's really having some peaks and valleys, you know, and he hated it. He hated it. He, he wanted to get better, but he just self-medicating doesn't work. I have video of him just popping these pills and me begging, please don't do this. And me trying to grab them actually, but you know, can't, but I'm just, please don't do this. And he was just, by the time he woke up Monday morning, the day he took his life, I did not, I looked at him. He looked like a gray shell. And I'd gone up to 7-Eleven and uh, even though we had lots of good coffee in our house for him, I went to 7-Eleven to get him what he liked and uh, brought it back. He usually drinks tons of coffee, wouldn't touch it, wouldn't eat, hadn't eaten in a couple days. Um, I mean, just, but you know what I'm thankful for? I'm so thankful for the time that I had with him. And I'm thankful that I had perspective now that I can talk about this and basically relatively live a normal functional life of joy, despite being in terrible, terrible grief. Um, He would never have done this to me. And I know that in every fiber of my body, Mm -hmm. but I just, why would they give him two milligrams? He hasn't done it in years. After he died, my doctor, I said, I need something for anxiety. Never taken anything before. So he gave me the same thing, but he gave me 0.5 milligrams. Why would you start somebody out with two milligram pills who hasn't been on it? And you're a brand new, you've never seen the guy before. It just shows complete lack of responsibility, in my opinion, my uneducated opinion. Yeah. Um, just tragic. Um, this is such a, you know, your story is so interesting because, you know, some of the cases they're, they're really, they're really straightforward. You know, you have someone and maybe they take an antidepressant because they have fibromyalgia, but I actually think a lot of the drug induced suicides happen in cases just like yours, you know, where the, where it is kind of messy, you know, where, where there is real stuff going on in their life, you know, it's complicated by coming off and on drugs, you know, there's, um, you know, Xanax withdrawal, there's the alcohol in there. And then, you know, we have prescription, you know, I, I guess he was, I mean, there was something, whether it was kind of addictive that, that he used so much of the clonopin so quickly, or whether he was kind of pushed into it by the intense agitation he was feeling after he came off the with, Xanax. And with the combined heavy, medi- heavy, um, cannabis yeah. use, the, the, because I couldn't see the, the, the pathology report, I did ask the detective about it and he just said let me just tell you he was loaded with stuff yeah so yeah Yeah. Um, and i knew that yeah i just want a proof of that Mm -hmm. but i can't get it yeah and then 
I mean, those are the situations where it bubbles over into something really impulsive. Because I mean, like you said, he's like, I love you. Let's get married. Do you want this? And then just like that, you know, it's, it's over just kind of bouncing all over the place, complete lack of mood stability. Um, and it's, it, it sounds, yeah, really like the intoxication and the drugs was, yeah, I mean, that's what they do. They make people have really unstable mood and, um, impulsivity problems. Yeah. It was, it was, and he had that kind of tendency anyways, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of those personalities that, you know, always had to be spinning, trying, you know, always, he didn't just have two of one shirt. He'd have 12 Ralph Lauren black t-shirts because he loved wear Ralph Lauren with a red, yeah. the tags on, I mean, 18 pairs of underarm he's bought in the last year, wear them once and leave them. I mean, it was kind of that, imp- that um, impulsive type personality anyways. Um, gambling on the ship. I didn't want to gamble. I, you know, but he just would go through the money so fast. He just had to, just had to do that, you know, and, sure. but I loved the man that he was and is deep inside without the mental illness. I still do. And I'll never will stop. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on and, 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 you know, sharing, sharing your story. And I want to ask, you know, before we conclude, whether, whether there was any other, anything else that you wanted to talk about or bring up? Um, this may be controversial, mm-hmm. but in the state of Utah, which ironically I live in, I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> um, they have a law where you can marry a person posthumously. Um, and I took the step last November to hire an attorney to do that because I know who he was. And I know it's what he wanted, despite his flaws, despite his mental state at the end. It's working itself through the court right now. I meet all the criteria in spades, thankfully. But, um, and that may seem very weird to viewers, but when you care for somebody and you stick with them through these very difficult times, we didn't ever have a honeymoon period, so to speak. We straightened it from out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. And um, I just hope that people out there just take these drugs more seriously. They just, just were over medicated and the suicide epidemic just got to stop somehow. It's horrible. I think people should be able to grieve in whatever way they want to. And it's not linear, that's for sure. (laughs) And I'm just um really hoping that you find your peace. And I think you're already on on that journey. And um and yeah, so thank you so much for uh agreeing to speak with me. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.